idea, there's this slogan that's been used over the last several years. There was a basketball team that kind of famously put it out there. But the slogan is, trust the process. And I, I want to talk to you about this, this process that we have that the Bible often describes as, it's a word that we use to describe it as sanctification. That's a fancy way of saying growing in the likeness of Christ, becoming more and more like Jesus. The moment you get saved is the moment you begin this process because the old is gone, the who you used to be is no longer valid anymore. That is dead and buried. And now you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And so now you are becoming more and more like Christ and less and less like who you used to be. Which by the way, if that freaks you out, that doesn't mean your personality, that doesn't mean your humor. Some of those things are already built into you. That's always part of God's purpose. But what it does mean is we begin to pull away some of those areas that aren't like Christ and then we become more and more like Christ. And I, I need you to understand because a lot of people struggle with this. This is why I kind of want to go into this series that that journey is a process. It's not an overnight thing. It's not like you got saved today and tomorrow you are perfect in every way, shape or form and nothing's wrong with you. We are all on a journey. Amen. And we gotta be careful because sometimes we can compare our journeys to others. Listen, Dottie is one year old. She is on a journey. It's unfair to then compare her to her mother who's further along in that journey. And it's unfair to compare Pastor Ariel to her mother who is further along in that journey. We are all in a process, our own journey, and we have our own process, and we gotta focus on ourselves and where we're going in Christ. And so the key though is to not get frustrated in the process. Some of us, we, we want results immediately. Some of you, man, you are so incredibly stubborn. If it doesn't work right away, you just want to walk away. And, and the truth is God is a very patient, loving, caring God, and he likes to keep you waiting on him. He likes to keep you trusting in him. And part of that trusting is to be able to understand who is in charge of the process and how he's walking you through it. Now, there's a, a few categories that we're going to go into over the next several weeks. But today, I want to talk about a particular method that God uses to refine you, to build you, to stretch you, to get you to be more like him. And it's part of the process that many of us don't like even a little bit. This morning, I want to talk to you about the process of suffering. Here's the reality. We will all suffer in this world. Saying yes to Jesus does not mean he puts a protective bubble around you and you will never suffer again. We are in this world and in this world there will be suffering. It's just the reality of nature, okay? It is what it is. You can't help it. People have uh, free will and sometimes that free will causes you suffering. Sometimes your job causes you suffering. School causes you suffering. Your family causes you suffering. Your pastor causes you suffering. Like we are going to suffer in this world. That's, that's the reality of it. And so God didn't say you won't suffer. But here's what's key to it. Because God isn't the author of your suffering, so to speak. So you can't say, well, God is making me suffer. No, we suffer because of fallen nature. We suffer because of free will of individuals. We suffer because sometimes our own stupidity and our own, you know, uh, just hard-headedness. Hard like, we all suffer for various reasons. Suffering doesn't come from the Lord, but what God does do is he uses suffering to help refine you, build you, and get you to that next level in your walk with God. I heard, a, I read a statement the other day, it was a, a young girl talking to her mother, and she said, well, you know, I, I thought about being a doctor, and, you know, I know I have the ability, and I know I have the opportunity to education, but, you know, if I went to medical school, I'd be 30 by the time I'd be a doctor. And then I said, well, you're going to be 30 anyway, you might as well be a doctor also. 
right? And, and there's this idea, right? Look at if I'm going to suffer anyway, I might as well gain something from my suffering. Like if we're all going to suffer, if you're going to suffer and I'm going to suffer, I'd rather be better on the other end than worse. And that's what God does. And that's how God refines us. God takes the suffering that all of us have to go through and will go through. And he uses it to refine you and to build you and to bring you along in the process. If you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to Romans chapter five. In Romans chapter five, verse three through five, I think we get a great picture into this chain of effects, this process of suffering. Listen to what it says in verse three. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. So the reason he's saying not only so is because he's been talking to them about future glory and, and by heaven. And the problem is a lot of people think, well, I, what about now? I can't wait for now. And so Paul addresses this. He goes, well, don't worry. We can rejoice now. We can give glory to God now, even in our sufferings. Why? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He's laying out this process. Now, I know for us, and I was just you know, talking about Dottie and, and even just my own child, Parents, you know this, we would love it if we could just prevent all suffering from happening to our children. As good parents, we don't like seeing our kids suffer. We don't like seeing our kids struggle. We would love it if they didn't suffer in the slightest. And I'll just be very transparent with you. Like even the littlest things. Right now, my son is about three months and we're just starting to, you know, he's starting to turn over and he's done it a couple of times. And, and they tell you, you know, to do tummy time with your children so they can practice that. I let my wife do tummy time. I can't do tummy time. I'm not good at it. And here's what I mean. When I put my kids in tummy time, which is they put them on their belly and they kind of got their arms there and you're trying to let them struggle so that they turn over. When I start hearing them whining and, and grunting, I'm like, I'm not good at it. I'm like, but he wanted to turn over. Like he's crying. Like I'm going to turn him over. And my wife said, no, no, he almost had it. I was like, but he was crying. Like, and it bug, I, I walk out the room, I'm like, you do tell me time, I'm gonna go to silent, I'm gonna put my earphones on, like, because my instinct is, I'm gonna help you. Don't worry, buddy. I got you. Like, Poppy's here. But we know that hurts my child, doesn't help my child. My child needs to learn, even in that moment, how to turn over on his own. Because if not, I'm gonna spend 30 year old flipping him over, like, come on, son. <laughs> All right? Like, it's just, it's not gonna work. Like at some point, you have to let your, if you love your children, you have to let them suffer. You have to let them suffer through things. You have to let them suffer through their math homework, in part because they've gotten to a stage in their math where you can't even help them anymore. Like you recognize, like I forgot up to this point. I'm good until fourth grade. Once we get past that, I didn't pay attention anymore. Like we understand that. But the problem is as parents, if we come in and we do it, we stunt their growth, we stunt their process. Now, if you understand that as a parent, then you have to understand the father's position in our life. That the heavenly father, your heavenly father, has to let you suffer through some things in order to prune you, in order to strengthen you, in order to help you get to the next stage. And so that's why here the author of Romans is saying, listen, we can glory in our sufferings because we know that God's at work in it. And we know that if God is at work in it, that we will produce something from our suffering. And so if you're taking notes, the first thing you need to write down is that suffering produces 
Listen, suffering produces. Now, let me just clarify. It produces something if you are with the Lord in that suffering and if you are following God in that suffering. A lot of us suffer with nothing good being produced. I mean, I guess you could say suffering always produces something, but what it's going to produce is determined on how close you're following the Lord in the process of that suffering. Because you can suffer alone, and that's painful. You can suffer in silence, and that's deadly. You can suffer in an isolated way where you cut people off and you turn from the Lord. Suffering can produce anxiety, can produce depression, can produce suicidal ideation. Suffering can produce serious health issues. Suffering can produce all types of other compounding issues. Like suffering can be horribly bad. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, hey, let's go look for suffering because it's going to make you better. What I am saying is if you're in the process of suffering, lean into the Lord, not away from him. Because then you'll at least be able to produce suffering in the process of that. At least there will be a byproduct from your suffering that is good and beneficial and not just detrimental and deteriorating. See, here's the reality. Suffering works for us, not against us. If you know how to do it, and if you lean in on the Lord, suffering works for us, not against us. How do I know? Listen, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 7. So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Christ Jesus is revealed to the whole world. Part of how God uses suffering is it's a refining fire. If you've ever gone and seen gold being smelted or any kind of precious metal being, being melted down, they don't just melt it down for fun. All these precious metals are, are intertwined with other minerals that aren't valuable, that, that are just rocks, that are just deteriorating. And so what you want to do to pull the value out of it, a goldsmith would then put that hunk of gold with all the other stuff that's attached to it and he would melt it down so that all the impurities rise to the surface and then they skim off the impurities so that all that's left is pure precious gold listen there's some some minerals in us that don't need to be there anymore and the best way God thinks of to pull that out of you is to allow a little bit of suffering why listen some of us we don't get it until we have to go get it until we're in the situation where you got to grow, you don't. You don't choose it. But then suddenly you're in a situation where it's fight or flight and you fight. Like you get up and you move and you figure it out. Why? Because I got to do it. Because suffering produces something because it begins to refine me. It begins to show. Listen, here's the reality. You ever been in a situation, maybe it's a, a, a near death situation or a medical situation or a family member, and you realize how quickly priorities get settled? You start to align some of those things. You, you realize what matters, what doesn't matter. I remember one time I was, uh, I was struggling. I, I, there was some stuff going on in ministry. I didn't know how to process them well. And I was in the hospital uh, with an anxiety attack and I couldn't catch my breath. And I'm freaking out. I was on a date with my then girlfriend, now wife, Cicely. And, uh, and I remember we're in the ER. The doctor's like, Mr. Silva, you're not breathing. I'm like, that's why I'm here, bro. <laughs> and he's like, no, Mr. Silva, like you, yourself, you have to breathe. This is you. And I just, I, I don't even know what he was talking about. I'm just like, <laughs> like I'm freaking out. And then I remember sitting next to her and up until that point, we had been dating for a while. I had not told her, I love you. 
<clears throat> I had this romantic idea in my mind that I wouldn't say it until we were like engaged or like on our wedding day or I'd make it something special. And I'm sitting next to her, not being able to catch my breath, thinking I'm dying. And I'm like, I haven't even told this woman I love her. I do love her. I'm going to die and she's not going to know I love her. And so right there in the ER, the first time I look at her, hey, I love you. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I love you too. I was like, okay, okay, I said it. <laughs> it was super romantic. Very, very romantic. It was the way you want to hear I love you for the first time from your wheezing, dying boyfriend. But what was it? It was a moment where I realized Hey, this romantic idea is not important. What's important is making sure she understands how I feel. And why did I do that? Because I was suffering. Because I was struggling. I'm telling you, suffering has, is a powerful motivator sometimes. Right? That's why we punish our kids. It's not because we like to, but because they're not doing what we asked them to do. And so I got to let you suffer. For some of them, that's the belt. Some of them, the belt don't even do it. Some of you got to take stuff away. You got to pull their phone out. You got to lock them in a room in the basement. You shouldn't do that. I'm just saying. (laughs) Some of you have probably done that. But what are we doing? Hey, listen, if you're not going to listen to reason, maybe you'll listen to suffering. And listen, God does the same thing. Hey, if you're not going to listen to my word, maybe you'll listen to suffering. Very few atheists in a hospital room. Very few atheists in a foxhole, they say, for those that are fighting wars. When you are in a position of suffering, suddenly faith has a chance to rise up. That's why scripture said in 1 Peter, you must endure many trials for a little while, but those trials show that your faith is genuine. Anybody can say, I believe, until your feet are put to the fire. Then do you really believe? A lot of people say they're Christians. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. I give anything for the Lord. And then the Lord says, yeah, I want you to donate $10,000 to this project we're doing. I don't know, God. That would cause me to suffer. It would, but it would bring glory to my name. Yes. Would you do it anyways? You know, I've, I, there's, there's a few guys that I know that I don't doubt would give their life for the Lord, would literally lay down their life for the gospel. I don't know if I'm one of those, just transparently. I'm like, God, I think I might choose my life. And I'm not saying that's good or bad. I'm just saying sometimes we, we can say things with hubris and we can say like these really dramatic things like, Lord, I would lay down my life. You won't even lay down your wallet. <laughs> Like, you lay down your life? You won't even lay down your softball season. Like, like it's just, like, we, we make these bold statements until God brings a little bit of suffering into the equation, and suddenly priorities start to line up. Amen? So we have to hear. Look, if God is going to put suffering, I want to learn the lesson rather than suffer longer. Now, in the process of suffering, one of the byproducts of that suffering is you start to gain perseverance. If you're taking notes, number two, perseverance. Another word for perseverance is endurance. You gain endurance. This is something that that comes over time from suffering. For me, the easiest illustration that immediately came to mind is a marathon runner. They they are just the champions of endurance. Now, a marathon is about a little over 26 miles. And that alone is daunting to me in my mind. Like, I don't I don't want to walk two miles, let alone 26 miles running. And uh, whoever runs marathons in here, you just, uh, God bless you. Like, amen. Good for you. I don't get it. There's cars, but good, good for you. And so, you know, they run the, but here's the reality. If you've ever run a marathon or if you've ever spoken to a marathon, the 26 miles are the last of their miles because they train anywhere from three to six months for this marathon. 
and they average, at some point, they get to like 50 miles a week. And so by the time they get to the 26 mile run, they've probably already ran something like 800 miles, right? Like they've already ran a Colorado and back. Like they just, they put it, and, and it's, it's unfathomable to me. I don't, the marathon's not scary. The training is what terrifies me. Like just doing it. But why do they do that? Because most of us in this room are not just gonna wake up and go, you know what? I'm gonna run 26 miles. I'm gonna get on one side of Western and get to the other side and I'm gonna knock this, by the way, 26 miles, Western Avenue, longest street. All right, so, so here's the reality. They have to build endurance or they will fail at the race. They have to build endurance. They have to get to the point where they can survive. And even then in that race, in that marathon, they're gonna hit walls. They're gonna get to moments where they wanna quit. But it's the training beforehand that gives them the victory at the end of the race. And here's the reality. We are all running this marathon, this race that God has called us to, right? Facing forward, forgetting what's behind us and running towards the goal which God has set for us. Like we are all in the process of running this race. But you have to understand that as you suffer and you grow, you build endurance so that you can finish the race. Anybody can start one. See, I can go sign up for a marathon. That's easy. You just pay the fee and sign it up. Like I, we can all do it. But that doesn't mean we ran it. And that doesn't mean we finished it. I can start a marathon. I promise you I can start a marathon. No problem. I get three blocks. And that's being generous. Three blocks and I'm calling the Uber. We're finishing the race in an Uber. Me and the Uber driver finished the marathon together because I believe in teamwork and we'll get there. But listen, some of us, the reason we're not getting stronger is because we're not building endurance. We're like, why does this keep happening to me? Because you're not learning from it. By the way, you're going to repeat the test until you pass. God's not just going to, you know, God doesn't believe in, in like no kid left behind. He's going to keep putting, he's going to keep doing that test until you pass it. James chapter one, verse two through four. Listen to what the word says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's very hard to do. <laughs> it says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And here's the part I want you to look at. Let perseverance finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Some of you are spiritually immature and are spiritually incomplete because you have not allowed endurance to finish its work. You stop short. You quit before it's time. You give up before the suffering is over. Listen, I'm one of those, if I've already suffered a half hour, let's go the whole hour. Like I've already, I'm already halfway in. I want to finish what's going on. But too many of us are tapping out before the product that God is trying to produce is finished. In other words, you know, you're taking that chicken out of the oven half baked and it's all seasoned and it tastes great and it's all ready. But because you took it out halfway, it's actually making you sick. It's not nourishing you. And too many of us, God is oh, he's doing this work. He's refining this fire. He's testing you. He's allowing you to go through these trials because he's going to use it to build you and make you better. And you quit halfway. That's why the scripture said, let perseverance finish its work. In other words, you're the one that's preventing it from finishing. You're the one that's preventing endurance from growing. Does it hurt? Yeah, anybody who works out and lifts weights, you know, that's not enjoyable in the moment. We love the results. I love your results, good for you, you look great. You know, some of those people that are at the gym and you're like, why do you still come? Like, you've already finished, you look awesome. 
But they're still going because they understand, like, there's still work to be done. There's endurance that they're building up. And by the way, <laughs> endurance doesn't stop trials. It just prepares you for the next one. It makes you stronger for the next trial that's coming up. And some of you, this trial is not even the scary one. Like, you think this is bad? God's, God knows the end from the beginning. God's looking at you like, wait till 2027. 20, <laughs> it's like, whoa, what's going to happen in 2027? I don't know, but you better get endurance now for it. I don't know what lays ahead of me. Listen, I thought having toddlers was hard. I don't know what it's going to be like when they're teenagers. I want endurance now. Like, I was talking to Pastor Izzy's mom yesterday. I'm like, look, I don't know what you thought when they were first born, but looking at your son now, thank God she has endurance. God did a work in that woman. God bless you, ma'am. That is, I have hung out with your son. That is, the Lord prepared you for that one. I kid, but you don't know what's coming up ahead in your life. You don't know what you're going to have to endure and the kind of trials that you're going to have to face. But here's what I do know. When God leads me from glory to glory, he also leads me from endurance to endurance. Everything God does is strengthening me for the next trial. It's to my benefit to learn from this one so that I can be prepared for the next one. And as I continue to grow from trial to trial, what begins to happen is my character begins to form. As I grow from trial to trial, as I continue to persevere under suffering, suddenly begins to form a character in me. If you're taking notes, the third thing is character. See, character is who we are because of our relationship with Christ. Not just your personality, not just your, your you know, uh, your Enneagram or what disc you are, or all these other like personality tests that we give you. Character is who you are because of your relationship with Christ. That's what sanctification is about. You cannot become more like Christ, but be alienated from him. The only way to become more like Christ is to draw closer to him. And the closer you draw to him, the more you emulate him. Character is who we are because of our relationship with Christ. It is something that can be built and learned as we follow him. Genuine Christian character is not about our personality or our disposition. It is a description of who we are as Christians and what we are called to be in our entirety. This is why the, the refining fire, it's not about taking away just the bad things. It's about taking away you so that you can become more like Christ so that when people look at you, they see something different. This is why when we were praying for Dottie, I was saying a league of her own and, and being set apart, being holy, so that she could be different. In the same way, God wants to do that in you and I. How can we affect the world when we look like the world? How can we transform anything that we already like? God has to first do the transformation in us, then he can help transform through us. But if we don't allow the character to change, if you're just stubborn to say, no, this is who I am, this is who I've always been. But what you don't understand is who you are becoming is so much better than who you were. Who you are becoming strengthens you. Listen, I was always funny. I ain't gonna lie. I had laughter. Some of y'all went to high school with me. I was funny. But it was a different kind of humor. And if I made jokes now like I made then, I would not have this job. Okay? What? And it was about degrading people, and it was about degrading myself, and it was about shock, and it was about... And here's what I realized. God can still use me, and it doesn't have to change my personality, but it does have to change my character. Like who I am and the way I carry myself, that has to change. Why? Because listen, I remember even when I first started preaching, I would, I would talk to the teenager and hey, what'd you think about the sermon? And I'd always hear the same compliment. Man, you were really funny. I do camps now. And don't, don't say this to me. This is rude. 
but they say it to me. They're like, man, you're like the Christian Fluffy. And I'm like, that's rude. That's not a compliment. And if you thought that church, don't you come against the Lord's anointed. That's not funny. But I get what they mean. They thought I was funny. I get that. I'll take that. But I remember early on in ministry, I kept hearing that you're so funny, you're so funny. I remember thinking to myself, but I don't want to be a comedian. I don't want to be a Christian fluffy. I want to be a godly Joey. I want to be who God called me to be. And that meant my character had to grow. Not my personality. My personality was intact. But how I presented myself as a representative of Christ, that had to change. That has to be reformed. That has to continue to develop. Listen, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. The byproduct of a close relationship with God, the fruit of the Spirit, (coughs) is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the evidences of your character. If you don't have this, this is what God is refining in you. This needs to go out more if we are to look like the character of God. Because this is the character of God. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You can have as much of this as you want. And we're all being refined in that. Some of you, if we're honest, you were not good people before Christ. And I'm not trying to be rude. You You weren't. I wasn't. And God brought goodness out of me. Some of you weren't kind. Some of you lacked self-control. Some of you were not gentle. Some of you struggled with anger issues. Some of you just lacked joy. You were searching for happiness and then suddenly the Lord put the joy of the Lord in your heart and everything begins to transform. This is the refining character of a godly man and woman. This is what the world is yearning for. So when they see these characteristics in you, suddenly not only are they attracted to you, but they're attracted to the Lord as well. Listen. As we take on the character of God, our hope in him naturally grows. When you become more and more like Christ and you begin to understand the character of God and you begin to be refined by the character of God, your hope in God begins to grow. That's why it says suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Why? Because my character, if God is good, if God is patient, if God is loving, if God is faithful, if God is full of love, if God has peace, if God is self-controlled, then I want to put my hope in him. Not in myself, not in my work. It's back to what we were talking about a couple weeks ago when it comes to grace. This is not something that is developed by your effort. It is something that's developed by your obedience. As you draw closer to the Lord, these are the byproducts. As God allows some suffering to refine you and to pull you and to mold you, these are some of those byproducts. And as you've gone through suffering and you come out the other end, your hope in the Lord increases. Why? Because I've been through the fire and I saw who was in there with me. I've been through the miry gray and I know who is in there with me. Listen, Psalm chapter 62, verse five through six. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. You understand? This isn't the hope that the world talks about. See, what the world talks about is not, it's wishful thinking. It's positive vibes. The hope that God talks about is rooted in the personhood of the Lord. We hope in God, not because we're throwing a Hail Mary, but because we trust in who God is and the character of our Lord. 
we trust in who he is. That's why it says, hey, I can find rest in God because that's where my hope comes from. Like, I trust God. I trust in his promises. I trust in his goodness. I trust in his faithfulness. I trust in him, and so I can find rest in him. That's why, like, you know, when I hold my son and everything else is going around and everything's loud and everything's crazy, he's fine because he trusts me. And he's in my arms. It's the same way. Like, I wanted to hold Dottie, but she didn't trust my arms as much as she trusts her parents' arms. That makes sense. With a whole bunch of strangers looking at her and staring at her, she needs to be in some arms she trusts. And in the same way, you can endure any kind of suffering if you are in arms that you trust. If you are in the hope of the Lord. Our hope is in God. It's not wishful thinking. It's not thinking positively. It is a hope that is rooted in God and strengthened by the character developed through perseverance and suffering. Here's the truth. We can't skip the process. I I wish we could. I wish God would just sprinkle hope on us and give us a little bit more strength and just make it, I, I wish it would just, at night as we laid there, God just poured hope on us. But hope is the end product of suffering, of enduring, of trusting and building character. And as you grow through that process, your hope in God grows all the more. Why? Because he's, he's the one who brought me through that process. He's the one that led me through that process. Listen, Hebrews chapter six, verse 19 through 20. says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Machildezek. Now this is important to understand here. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. If you think about the Old Testament, the presence of God resided in the Ark of the Covenant, which was behind a series of, of places that were divided by curtains. The last one was the curtain that prevented you from entering into the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest once a year was allowed to enter the Holy of Holies as a representative for everybody else. But here, what does the scripture say? Because of the hope that we have in God and Jesus, he is now the forerunner into that place of God. And you can only be a forerunner if you have afterrunners. So Jesus is the four, he's the first one. And because of him, now we can enter in to the Holy of Holies. Now we can enter into his sanctuary. Now we can boldly go before the throne of grace and ask for anything and know that he hears us. His forerun allows us, the afterrunners, to come behind us and finish our race because he finished his race on the cross. Does that make sense? This is wonderful, powerful news. Knowing, hey, this race is not in vain. As a believer, I will finish my race because when he died on the cross, he didn't say it is finishing. He didn't say I'll come back and wrap this up. He said it is finished. The work of the Lord was complete on the cross. So everything we need to be everything we need to be is already for us. It's already established. All we need to do is run our race. All we need to do is endure, is persevere, is finish the thing that God has called us to. Why? Because that hope is an anchor. Anchors aren't needed in calm waters. Anchors are needed in raging storms. You drop an anchor when the storm is whipping about so that you're not tossed by the wind and the wave. You drop an anchor to keep you rooted in a spot. Charles Spurgeon said this, our anchor is like every other When it is of any use, it is out of sight. Listen, when you need the anchor, you don't see it. 
right? When a man sees the anchor, it is doing nothing unless it happened to be some small stream anchor or a grapple in shallow water. No, when the anchor is of use, it is gone. There it went overboard with the splash. Far down there, all among the fish, lies the iron hold fast, quiet out of sight. Where is your hope, brother? Do you believe because you can see? That is not believing at all. My hope is anchored in what I cannot see. That's what faith is. Faith is what the expectancy of what we cannot see. I expect my Lord to come through. Why? Because my hope is in him. Well, how do you know if you can't see it? That's why my hope is in him. But listen, I don't need to see it because I see the one who my hope is in. So I don't need to know how it's going to turn out. I know who's going to turn it out. I don't need to know how it's going to happen. I know who's making it happen. Like, I know and I have confidence that I am rooted in the personhood of God and God who loves me and cares for me is not going to leave me high and dry. That God is going to do something even in the midst of suffering. Even, listen, I've done all these camps the last few uh, weeks and, and, and I've seen so many young people really suffering, struggling with some deep-seated issues, some really bad abuse that's happened to them, things that are really scarring. And part of my hope is helping them understand, listen, God will not allow those things to be left for nothing. That God is going to use what you think has made you broken to actually heal people down the line. There is hope in the future for what God is doing in your life. And listen, people, I need you to understand the same thing. You think this present suffering is for nothing. And it could be if your hope is not rooted in God. But when your hope is rooted in the Lord and he brings you out of this season, and they're only seasons, by the way. Come on, y'all. You live in Chicago. We get all four of them in one week. It's just the season. It'll change. It'll move. This present suffering, though we may suffer trials for a little while, this isn't forever. Suffering lasts for a moment, but joy comes in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. Listen, it will be better, and you need to be better with it if you are willing to endure and trust in the Lord. Worship team, if you can help me out. So what ties this all together? How are we able to do everything that we talked about. Because listen, saying it is easy. Doing it's not. Enduring hardships is difficult. Persevering, suffering, building character. <clears throat> I mean, we like to have character, but character is a refinement. I Meaning there are things that have to die in your life in order to be the person that God has called you to be. There are relationships that have to be transformed. There are things that you have to do that are not pleasant. This is not easy. But the answer was already given in the first scripture we read. Let's go back to that. Guys, if you can help me out. Romans chapter five, just the very first one. Let me read it again, verse three through five. It says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Here's your answer. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering can only truly be endured and developed and forming of your character when you understand, when you believe, and when you know that God's love has been poured out on you. God's love is the binder that makes suffering productive. Because if I know God loves me, then I can endure. If I know God cares about me, then this too shall pass. Because I trust in my God. 
Listen, Ephesians chapter three, verse 16 through 19. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with the inner strength through his spirit. Sounds great. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And here's the key. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all of God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep is his love for us. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. You will only be able to do this. Suffering will only have a benefit if you are rooted in the love of God. I remember, I might've told this story a time or two, but it's always been a, just a core memory for me. I was a young boy, maybe seven, eight years old. And I was with my father, helping him do some work on the house. And oftentimes my father would make me do certain things in his words, because you're skinnier and you have smaller hands. I don't know if that was OSHA regulations, but that's just how we had it. And so I remember one time he had a ladder. We never had great tools, by the way, so we didn't have like a good ladder. <laughs> we had a ladder and my dad made me climb the ladder. And I remember I started climbing and I got to a certain height, maybe about six feet up. And, and I got to a point where I was just maybe a few more rungs up the ladder and I froze. I just, I just froze. And I couldn't, I couldn't make my feet go another step. I started shaking. And my dad's down there like, go, keep going, keep going. And I'm like, I couldn't even talk. And he says, go, go. And I'm just crying now. And I'm like, Papi, I can't go. And he's, he keeps telling me go. And I'm going, please don't make me go anymore. Like, I don't want to disappoint you, but I am terrified right now. Please don't make me go anymore, Papi, please. And I remember telling Papi, please don't let me go. I want to come down. And I remember I looked down at him to get the approval to come back down. And for one of the very few times in my life, I looked down and my father is weeping. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, Joey, don't you understand that I would let all the bad things in this world happen to me before I ever let anything happen to you? I just knew my father loves me. Even if I fall, my father will catch me. Like I can go up as far as he tells me to go. Not because I trust the ladder, it was a crappy ladder. But I trust in the one that held the ladder. I trust in my father who encouraged me and said, you can go, keep going. And so I kept going and I finished the job that we were called to do. I don't remember what we were doing. I don't remember what the job was, but I remember this. I remember my father loved me. And I'll tell you for the rest of my life, no matter how crazy the situation is, no matter how much I got yelled at by the people who were in charge of me, if I knew you loved me, okay. And I was very grateful to have men and women in my life who loved me, loved me enough to reprimand me, loved me enough to push me. I didn't want to be a pastor. You guys heard from Pastor John last week. He had to tell me, go up another ladder. You could do it. Go up another ladder. One more rung, Joe, you got this. 
And even after I got hired, I didn't know what I was doing. I needed another man like Pastor Carlos to say, you got it, it's okay. Pastor, I messed up, this happened and that happened. That's fine, you're my guy, keep going. I was lucky enough to have men and women in my life who didn't quit on me because I suffered and because I struggled and because I was scared. And more than that, to this day, I'm grateful that my God does not allow suffering because he doesn't care about me, quite the contrary. He allows suffering because he loves me and he's chosen this foolish man to confound the wise, to be all that he's called me to be for his honors, for his glory. And I will gladly do it for the rest of my life, not because of the paycheck, not because of the city, not because of you, but because he loves me. And because he loves me, I love him back. Remember scriptures say, you didn't choose me, I chose you. We love God, why? Because he first loved us. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And right where you're at, you might be in a place where God's calling you to go to another level. God's calling you to climb one more rung in the ladder. God's bringing you into a season where you're terrified, where the wind and the waves are howling, where you're not sure how things are going to turn out where you're looking back at God like I did to my father and you're saying, please don't let me go another step. I can't do it. I have great news for you. Even though you can't, he can. And that God is with you. That God is for you. And that he will fight your battles and give you victory. But you have to trust his voice and you have to be willing to climb that next step. So I wanna pray for you, church. If you're in this place, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this place and you're in that season, would you just signal me by lifting up your hand right where you're at? I want to pray for you. Thank you. Amen. 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 Thank you. Anybody else? Awesome. Awesome. Heavenly Father, you see every hand that was raised. God, you know the season that they're going through. You know the suffering that they're enduring. And God, if we have to suffer anyways, I pray that it would not be in vain. But Lord, I pray for something wonderful to be byproduct of this suffering. God, I pray that as they suffer, it would begin to build perseverance, God. That endurance would come out of this, Lord. That they would be made stronger because of it, not weaker because of it. And God, I pray as that perseverance and endurance builds, may it begin to continue to form and change their character, God. That they would be more like you as they see things the way you see things. As they move in areas the way you move in areas. And God, I pray that as their character develops and that perseverance endures, that their hope would rise up, God. Not hoping and maybe something good will happen, but hoping knowing that you are a good God. Hoping knowing that your love is steadfast. Hoping knowing that you care about us. Hoping knowing that you are a good father. And so Lord, I pray that as that faith, hope rises, let it be rooted in our love for you, God. That we can do anything, Lord, because you sustain us, because you lead us, because you love us, God, and we love you in return. So, Lord, I pray that that perfect love would drive out all fear right now in Christ Jesus. That they would be rooted, that they would grow, that they would develop, and that they would lead away, God, as you are the forerunner. Let there be afterrunners behind us, God. Others whose faith would rise up. Others whose hope would be placed in you. Others who would know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and your love. And, Lord, we just pray, let it be done in accordance to your word. 
We trust you, God. Our hope is in you. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone here said? Come on, would you give the Lord a hand clap of praise? Hallelujah.